So, where did you go after work? I went to a cheese shop. And you're really excited about some cheeses? Dude, I'm I'm stoked for some cheeses. Welcome to episode 155 of the Damage Control Podcast. I'm Ryan, and you best believe I punched Keanu Reeves, and it was better than any scene you could see in Speed. I hit John Wick, and now I'm feeling so appealing. Basically, I'm a god. You can call me Hercules. Here's John. I'm telling you for real, I punched Neo. He can duck bullets, but he couldn't duck me. Oh. (laughs) On this week's episode, we're going to find out how much I know about current pop culture, I'm guessing not a ton, although based on the opening, I guess I'm up on one thing. Um, sure. what is, we're also going to take a dive into Rhineland, and I'm going to talk about Weird Al and the Aladdin Broadway show. And then we'll get into twin movie talk because John just won't let it go. And finally, we'll wrap up with a quick chat about John Favreau's The Chef Show on Netflix. But first, where the hell have we been, John? That's a great question. Uh, but we, yeah, we are back. Hey, Ryan. Yeah, we're back. Hi. Hi. It's good to talk to you. It's so I nice to talk to you. In, it's been in like low so many weeks. It's been was it two, two weeks, three weeks? Yeah. Well, for the listener, I think it's three. Uh, right. But for us, it's two. Which we'll just say that we did record an episode before Ryan went on hiatus because he had school stuff. But uh, I determined that audio unusable. <laughs> and so it's been a bit of a break and uh our listeners may have thought we gave up the ghost but we're here yeah and oh, I, school I, oh god i'm so like i'm just i'm so i'm i'm neck deep in school work like it's just it's gonna be rough until august 12th <laughs> okay that sucks but yeah. then again as i always come back to you brought this upon yourself. I did. I chose to do this. I, I, I did 100% put myself in this position. So, Well, that's okay. By the, the end of it, you'll be better off for it, and I will still be like four to five years away from a PhD. <laughs> I guess that's true. Uh, the, the good news for me is uh, that everything that I'm learning is very relevant to like what I do for a job. So like yeah. every time I open a textbook, I get better at my job, which is cool. Like it's all really uh, applicable to what I do. So I like that. That's interesting. Anytime I crack open a book, I'm probably getting worse at my job, <laughs> you know, especially those comic books. I just rot my brain. Right. <laughs> no, still haven't. I haven't done much reading. I'm going to be honest. Well, you're probably reading up a storm. I still continue to make my own joke about, uh, the fact that the only book that I finished this year is a book called Finish, about finishing things. Right. Yeah, no, I've been keeping up with my textbook reading, and then uh, I've been trying to find for a while something that I could just read, like, like to go to sleep, like, and or, like, when I go have dinner or whatever. And I, I've discovered that I need something real simple, like, real, like, straightforward and easy and fun, because my brain is too occupied by other complicated things. Sure. Um, and so I've been at one point I was rereading the Harry Potter series took taking a break from that because I finished the first two books uh, and so now I'm rereading Joe Hill's heart-shaped box have you ever read that John 
No, but you brought this up uh, maybe on the audio the last episode that will never be released uh, and is now dead. I think we talked about it then, and I made a Nirvana joke, and you just skipped right over that. So. Right, yeah. No, I have that not is read that the, book. That is the title of a Nirvana song, but it's not about Nirvana. Right. It's about a okay. – it's like an aging kind of um, – oh, what's that guy's name? Alice Cooper type guy who oh, yeah. uh, orders a ghost on the internet, like, oh, like, a, like a haunted jacket oh, re- basically – um, I remember you describing this before, and it sounded really weird. It's, I mean, it's terrifying. It's really okay. scary. It's really, really scary. I'm really enjoying, I, and it's been like a long time since I've read it, so I really don't remember a lot of it. So it's fun rediscovering a lot of the stuff that's in the book. So, you know, ha- that's interesting because I, you know, I've become uh, an appreciator of the horror genre of movie. Um, thanks uh, in large part to this podcast and the hashtag crush kill destroy your fears uh, kind of campaign of two years ago but I've never really read any like horror fiction you know like hmm. any uh, literary horror I think I tried to start it but then I was like quickly um, you know it's just a daunting task there's a lot of that's a long it's a, book it's a very that book's over a thousand pages it's real long yeah so um, I think I got maybe less than a hundred pages in I was like I'm going to be reading this book for the rest of my life and I just wasn't <laughs> prepared for that oh, well uh, I, I would definitely recommend Heart Shaped Box it's super good um, alright well anyway not only uh, has is the question worthwhile of where have we been um, but you know i think it's important to point out that we are like desperately behind it's just it's a good thing that we don't care about really the format of the show anymore you know there's no central premise that's kind of like undergirding this whole thing because if we were a true geek media podcast still uh we would be in just in terrible danger of becoming irrelevant because so much has come out and like i'm not going to get to it anytime soon like uh black mirror season five or whatever i mean it's just three episodes but i haven't touched a single one of those uh jessica jones season three haven't even yeah haven't cracked open an episode there uh all kinds of movies have come out and i have barely been to the theater i feel just horribly out of touch hmm that's too bad yeah well i mean as far as summer blockbusters go it's been a it's been a sad it's been a sad summer i would say (laughs) Lots right. of underperforming titles. Yeah, well, I mean, and I, I don't think I don't know. I, I was surprised how high some people put Dark Phoenix on their summer movie list. Yeah, uh, I did not. I don't think it's even. It's not even on my list. Not even a dark horse. Because <laughs> I just, well, I just that knew was smart. That, that was gonna bomb. Um, well, and don't don't give me too it. much credit. I put Aladdin pretty low on my list, and that's gonna turn out to have been a mistake. So, yeah, I mean, I you know that's it's it's uh, let me take this opportunity to just remind you that I'm currently in first place, but I think that that's probably a bad sign for me. It's still very early, uh, and I'm I'm benefiting from a mistake I made, which was putting Pokemon too high. Um, but since everything is underperforming, it still stands a chance, but, um, you know, I whiffed on Aladdin for sure. I thought yeah. people might not have an appetite for that, and that and Lion King will probably do better than I thought. Whatever. I think I had Dark Phoenix at 9 or 10. Think nine. Yeah, I'm actually yeah. at this point. I'm very curious to see how how well Lion King does because I thought Aladdin would bomb. I didn't think people would really go see it. I thought it might make like sure. 120 million dollars, but I think it's almost getting around 200 at this point, maybe more already. Um, it's doing quite well, 
and so I think that means that the Lion King, which I think there's more appetite for than there was for Aladdin, I think the Lion yeah, it's King. It's approaching will do really, 300 really well. million, yeah. actually. 287 yeah. million for Aladdin. Yeah, I'm fucked. Because I put it at like eight on my list or something. Um, yeah. Yeah, there's just been so many like strange flops, but like, uh, you know, like I, th- I had Men in Black International as a dark horse because I didn't expect it to do very well. Even despite the star-studded cast, I, I just don't feel like we have an appetite for that kind of thing. And then Dark Phoenix. I know you're not going to see it. Um, had had this been our old, our old concept, our old premise, we would have both had to see it. Uh, but I'm glad I didn't have to subject you to that because it was, it was pretty daggone boring. I'll say that. I was bored for most of it. There's one sequence that I enjoyed, and apparently, come to find out, it was like the thing that uh, it was a part of like the reshoots because you know like the movie had not tested well and so they added in this thing and i like that one thing <laughs> that was about it so hmm. oof yeah yikes all right well um this has been a weird mishmash of opening chit chat but if you've never listened to the show before i mean you know that's just how it goes sometimes right. we haven't talked in a while what yeah, else do you want to talk about i don't know how's your I'd- body how's your mind actually i moved weird in bed the other night and popped my shoulder in a bad way and it was pretty Jesus. it was pretty achy yesterday but i still have a whole the bunch one, of the yeah the, the one, one you injured yeah the one I, the one I dislocated um uh i woke up with a sore foot recently and thought of you <laughs> i had a reason i'd been riding my bike more uh i'm trying to get into the habit of like riding my bike to work so that way i can show up to the office incredibly sweaty and disgusting and smell for all of my student appointments uh, but yeah, I was just riding my bike a lot and my foot, my foot hurt a little bit. It's not used to that motion, mm. but I woke up, it was very sore. And I thought of you, Ryan, <laughs> did you wrap it? I'm sorry. Did I what wrap your foot? Did you wrap it? Oh, I, I heard, did you, did you whack it? And that just seemed like a very personal question <laughs> that I'm not prepared to answer on this episode. Uh, you know, it's funny that you mentioned, though, about going to work sweaty. Uh, my my campus, my college, <laughs> we do um, a mobile food pantry once a month. And yeah. it, we do it in an, an old air, uh, uh, airplane hangar because uh, my Go campus on. has an aviation program. But it's the aviation program okay, has humble brag. since uh, moved to a different location, but we still have the hangar. So it's mostly storage, but we can use it for like big stuff. And so our mobile food pantry is a perfect, it's a perfect location for that. Uh, and Mm -hmm. so we, we had it on Thursday and, uh, I was in that damn airplane hangar from like seven in the morning until about 11 AM. And like, normally I can do that and then just like go do the rest of my day of work and it's not a big deal, but it was so hot and humid. And I was, you know, Un- unpacking food boxes and sweeping the floor and just doing all kinds of crazy stuff that I got back to my office and I was just like soaking wet and I was just like Gross. screw this I'm going home and taking a shower so I just like yeah. took my lunch early and <laughs> just went home and took a shower and changed clothes and came back because it was yeah it was, it was gross yeah well Colorado gets a bunch of snow uh, on the first day of summer we have officially entered into that time of year that is marked by two things for me specifically one i can't get out of my car without my glasses fogging up Mm -hmm. which is a fun problem to experience and then two i can't go anywhere you know midday like walking around campus without becoming a sweaty uh, miserable mess of a human being 
Well, on that yep. note, if you've never subscribed to the podcast, you definitely should, because that's how you can make sure we you get... smell delicious. <laughs> yes, we smell delicious, and you can get that smell right to your podcast app of choice. That's right. Just by hitting. We're that working on a uh, proprietary scratch and sniff podcasting app. That'd be amazing. Um. And then if you've never taken the opportunity to rate and review the show, we'd really appreciate it. It helps us find new listeners. You can give we us probably need them right now because all those old listeners fell off because they thought we died. Right. So what you should do is give us a five-star rating and then in detail describe the way you think we smell in the yeah. review. I mean, and just know that we don't smell the same, so you're going to have to distinguish who you're talking about. Right, right. Uh, all right. Well, on the other side of the break, John has a quiz for me, which I'm very excited about. Hey, Twitter world. This is yours truly. Now, coming soon to Twitter, you'll get to read all my thoughts and opinions on just about everything. Now, there's a lot of fake OJ accounts out there. So this one, at the real OJ32, is the only official one. So this should be a lot of fun. I got a little getting even to do. So God bless. Take care. All right. Go for it, dude. Take it. Take it away. Was that you bringing us back from break, from our very specific breaks? Yep. Mm -hmm. That was good. Thanks. Okay. Uh, No, you're supposed to do it real over-the-top radio. It's uh, 321, and you're listening to the Damage Control Podcast. Of course, it's not 321 while people are listening to this, probably. But if it is, how random is that? That would be really, really, like, a weird coincidence. That would be amazing coincidence. Uh, Let's see here. So it's been a very long time, but there was a brief stretch where in place of this thing that I used to do called the Geek Media Minute, I started, you know, changing it up and I did what I like to think of as a variation of the NPR news quiz, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, that we titled Stop, Stop, Shut Your Damn Mouth, okay? The (laughs) damage control version. So let's think of this, let's think of this like that, Okay. Uh, so a couple things inspired this one, uh, a growing fear that I am completely out of touch with the youth of America, which I guess doesn't matter for a man in his uh, mid thirties, but as someone who works with college age individuals, I want to stay pretty relevant. Also as someone who prides myself as, um, well, John Green's my spirit animal. He's, uh, I think of myself as, uh, John Green, if John Green were bad at being John Green, right? You know, like I have similar aspirations. I just don't follow through on them. Um, you know, it's important to stay uh, hip and relevant, uh, in touch with what the young people are into. So I was thinking about that. I had a, a pretty disturbing but uh, moment, but not unusual, not uncommon either, uh, at, at a freshman orientation recently, Ryan, because it's orientation season in, in our world. Uh, uh, and... Yes. I'm sorry, did you have something to add to that? I did pause briefly. It's freshman orientation season for you in the uh, okay. in the realm of the community college. That's not that's a thing true. that we yeah. do all summer. That's true. That, that makes sense. Okay, well, yes, it is freshman orientation season for me. And as we do with every new freshman group, uh, we kind of do that first day of class. You know, uh, you tell me your name and your major and all that stuff. And I usually come up with fun questions. But one of the things that we have them tell us is where they're from. And where do they go to high school? And someone, uh, the first freshman orientation that we had, she said, Berkner High School. Guess where I went to high school, Ryan? Berkner High School? 
It's a weird word, yeah. You, you hear it and you're like, did you just say burger? But no, it's not burger high school. I went to L.V. Berkner High School. Uh, and so I raised my hands in triumphant celebration when she said Berkner High School, even though I don't, I don't give two shits about my high school, I'm going to be honest about that. Uh, and she's like, did you go there too? And I was like, class of 02, baby. Like that. I said it exactly like that. And then it dawned on me that she obviously was class of 2019. Yep. Which means that if I had a child at the age of 18, that person would be a senior in high school. Mm-hmm. And, um, well, that cut me deep and sent me spinning in, out of control into an existential crisis, which I've been in one for a long time anyway, so just complicated matters. So that uh, weighed on top of the idea that uh, you've been out of touch, out of pocket lately, as we discussed, because you were in your doctor and training program in in uh, in Lubbock, Texas. And I figured you probably weren't paying a whole lot of attention uh, to the goings-ons in pop culture, uh, despite the fact that you have many times boldly proclaimed yourself as a child of the internet. <laughs> I am a child of the internet. Right. But I figured this was a good time just to see how close, uh, you know, one, how, how closely you're paying attention, which is probably not very close, and two, uh, how ubiquitous some of these stories become. So even if you're not paying attention, maybe you happen to hear about it. So this is what uh, I'm going to dub a relevance quiz to see how pop culturally relevant you are right now in late June 2019. Okay, right. I have 10 questions for you. Okay. Uh, I have decided that in order to be determined uh, that you are indeed relevant, you have to answer 70% correct. I have to give okay? it a 70. Wow, okay. You do, yeah. Let's consider this a major specific class. You need to get a C or better, okay? Ds okay. do not equal degrees in this case. Okay. I'm going to give you a softball to start so you can build your confidence, okay? Okay. Question number one. Despite being 54 years old, this actor is riding a tidal wave of resurgent popularity, recently being dubbed the, quote, Internet's newest boyfriend, a title he was surprised to learn about on the red carpet of a recent premiere. Who is he? Uh, that would be Keanu Reeves. Yes, and we, in fact, did not punch him. Just want to clear that I would, up. I would never punch Keanu Reeves. No. He, he probably could never do anything that would earn my wrath. Yeah, no. So I would have no reason to punch him. I would cuddle uh, with Keanu right. Reeves. Interesting. I would take a Joey Ross nap with Keanu yeah. Reeves. Yeah. Yeah, that, would, that sounds delightful. Dibs on Big Spoon, though. <laughs> I don't know. He's probably taller than I am, but I'm meatier, you know? <laughs> All right, number two. What platinum recording artist has stirred up controversy and received some backlash for their new song, You Need to Calm Down, a pro-LGBT track in honor of Pride Month off their upcoming album entitled Lover? I read a whole article about this in The Atlantic, and that's Taylor Swift. Wow, all right, two for two. You even read an article about this. So you, you're more informed than I am. Okay. Yeah, well, it's about the problematic oh, nature of the, the messaging of the song because she's sort of equating the struggles of being a celebrity with the struggles right. of being part of the LGBTQIA community. Right, yeah. Some of the uh, backlash is not just coming from, like, hardcore conservatives that are anti-LGBT. Okay. Uh, speaking of Taylor Swift, right? Yes. The pop singer recently made headlines by mending fences with former frenemy Katy Perry. Yep. 
Perry showed that the pair had buried the hatchet on Instagram with a picture of what baked good with the message, Peace at Last, scrawled on the plate in red frosting. I guess a cake? That is incorrect. No, it was a plate of cookies. Oh. Plate of cookies. I tried to throw you off with the frosting, but that is yeah. what, what happened. I didn't know that. All right, uh, we're gonna we have a couple questions where we delve a little bit into sports, which I know are not your forte, but they are part of uh, uh, of the what's that term that we use all the time that I hate? Zeitgeist. There we go. All right, what infamous or infamous, depending <laughs> on how you want to pronounce that word, former member of the Buffalo Bills made his Twitter debut recently with a series of awkward videos including one wherein he denied that he ever had an affair with Chris Jenner. Um, uh, I only know one Buffalo Bills player, and I don't think this would probably be that person. What was that quarterback's okay. name? That ended with Kelly? John Kelly? James Kelly? Jim Jim Kelly. Jim Kelly, yeah. Yeah. No, he, uh, he has never been linked to Chris Jenner. I don't know any other Buffalo Bills players. Uh, let me give you a hint, although I'm going to say that uh, you got this question wrong. My hint, though, is if the glove does not fit, you must acquit. OJ played for the Buffalo Bills? He did, in fact. Shit, and I knew that he, he joined. For? I don't know, but I knew that he... That's right. Yeah, I knew that he yeah. played, had joined Twitter, and I saw the weird videos. and. Yeah, if you want to have some fun, go watch those videos. Highly entertaining. All right, right now you're at an even 500, two for two. So remember, you can only get three wrong. You've already gotten two wrong. So you gotta, you gotta, <laughs> you gotta step it up. Okay. 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 In the latest season of Black Mirror, the third and final episode features Miley Cyrus portraying a young pop singer with pink hair who is creatively restricted by her management team. And what is surely a nod to the fans... Uh, wait, wait, hold on. I'm getting confused by my own writing, and I'm also trying to scratch my nose. That was terrible timing. Okay, and what is surely a nod to fans of the 90s cartoon Recess? But probably not, because I just made that up. What is the name of Miley's character? Oh, it's Ashley. Um, and I know that because there's a pop singer who has colored hair named Ashley, but there's like a different last initial or something. And uh, she thought that maybe the show was referencing her, even though it's clearly referencing Miley Cyrus's career. Uh, can you give me the uh, the surname initial to complete like this? If not, Ashley, I will still give it to you. I think it's like Ashley K or Ashley O or something like that. Okay, it's Ashley O. And I think what you're referring to is that uh, the singer Halsey came out and thought it was uh, some kind of nod to her. Right, because her real name, name is Ashley. Ashley. Oh, there you go. I didn't know that. I don't know anything about Halsey. I don't I know anything about it either. Is. I read an Atlantic article about it. <laughs> is, it <laughs> is this a shout-out to the Atlantic? Have they become some kind of title sponsor you know, I should be aware they're of? They're just a daily read for me, and I yeah, I read that article. Really? The Atlantic? Okay. Yeah, I, I like the Atlantic a lot. Well, now we know. Actually, that right, might not uh, have been... A, uh-huh. That wasn't an Atlantic article. You know what that was? That was in a, a like screenshotted TMZ article embedded in a tweet. That's what that was. That's very specific, but I'm yeah, getting that's how like we get a lot the, of our news. I'm getting like the the I can see the tweet in my head now with the screenshots in it. My bad. All right, 
Thank you for that clarification. It was very important. Brought a lot to the show. Celebrity couple Kelly Ripa and Mark Consuelos. I don't know if you knew them as a celebrity couple. I, I barely did. know who Mark Consuelos is because he's like a, a soap opera actor. But he is uh, on the CW show Riverdale, in case you were curious. Anyway, celebrity couple Kelly Ripa Mark Consuelos made national news this week when they revealed on Live with Kelly and Ryan that their daughter Lola, who is celebrating her 18th birthday on Father's Day... Uh, had accidentally observed her parents doing what? Having sex? Ding, ding, ding! There's probably no other answer that that could have been, but yes, she walked in on them doing it. And then they talked about it on Instagram, because in 2019, apparently we don't have any boundaries. All right, let's see here. Question number seven. And this goes back a few weeks, Ryan, but the story has not gone away I figured we probably would have talked about this had we done a show. So let's see if you remember or if you were aware of it in the first place. I'm sure you were. Going back a few weeks, Canadian heartthrob Justin Bieber, or as Dwight Schrute referred to him, Justice Beavers, took to Twitter to challenge what famous actor, a man 31 years his senior, to a mixed martial arts fight in the octagon? Tom Cruise. Ding, ding, ding. It is Tom Cruise. And now, if you'll just tell the listening audience who you think would win that fight. Uh, Tom Cruise, 100%. Hands down. All my money on Cruise. Yeah. All right. Another sports question. Because, again, we want to make sure you're staying up to date. Uh, The NBA Finals wrapped up recently with what team claiming the first ever NBA title for the entire country of Canada? The Toronto Raptors. Wow, okay. Now, if I had just asked you what team won the NBA Finals, would you have been able to answer that, or did I tip my hand? No, I knew it Like while you were reading okay. the question. Can you name one player on the Toronto Raptors? This is a sub-question. You will receive no points if you get it correct. <sighs> Let's see here. I actually I had a whole conversation about this, but I think all the players that came up came up on the other team because the other team had several injuries and so they were like the Raptors should have an asterisk next to their name or something like that oh wow you had a sports debate conversation with somebody well some no what what happened was I was waiting at a restaurant and so like sports center was on but I couldn't hear it Ah, but they you know they do that like text on the side of the screen about what all the stories you're going to talk about Mm -hmm. and there was like something like should should the Raptors championship have an asterisk and so I asked my friend what is that about and he was explaining the debate and my response to the whole thing was like that's part of the game that people get injured that's there shouldn't be like there's an argument for like the San Antonio Spurs and their first championship having an asterisk because it was only a half a season and so the game is fundamentally different when that happens people getting injured in the in like the playoffs and the finals is not worthy of an asterisk in my opinion i will take your argument and further it just slightly and saying most arguments about like well this should have an asterisk next to it are pointless and stupid well that's true too and unless you're Sports talking about are full of um, variables like cheating or something that i can consider right like the um the all the the home run bullshit needs to have asterisks by it yeah yeah no agreed but like when it comes to I don't like that argument you were just making. Like, there should be an asterisk by it. That's stupid. Okay? There's a lot of variables in sports. No need for asterisks. Right. You're doing pretty well here, buddy. We only have two more questions left. The next one is another music question. 
On the heels of the viral success of his first single, Old Town Road, and then the follow-up remix, uh, a country rap hybrid that will earn him little to no money because it includes a sample of a Nine Inch Nail song, what artist released his debut EP entitled Seven just this very week? I don't know about any of the things that you just talked about. Really? You have I, not heard the song Old Town Road? I mean, I feel like Which there's has a been really out since old December. song that's similar to that that I can think of, but I don't know what the hell you're talking about. This is okay. It's this is amazing. Yeah, I mean, it, it's uh, this song is everywhere. You may have seen the viral video of the elementary of this person performing for some elementary school kids, and they were super into it. No, like, that video that. went viral. Rings no. All bells right. Well, for that me. would be the uh, the artist Lil Nas X. Never heard of that person in my life. Well, you wouldn't have except for this song. Um, okay. But you know, it's just interesting because this is probably the most popular song of 2019. Uh, since I, I want to say he was probably on SoundCloud and I can't remember how the song uh, gained any uh, prominence but it hasn't gone away there's already like three versions of it and now he's releasing an EP but yes he's not going to make any money off this song that has sold prob- or not sold but you know like been downloaded millions of times or whatever because he sampled a Nine Inch Nail song that he just bought off a, like a, a Beats webpage kind of thing alright uh, the final question, which you have to get this right in order to earn a 70% oh, and be deemed This is very relevant. dramatic. So this is important. Yes. This all comes down to the final question. You have missed three questions. All right. A conservative Christian group called the Return to Order Campaign created a, pe- uh, a, oh God, a, created a petition asking for the cancellation of the new television adaptation of Neil Gaiman's novel Good Omens on the grounds that the show promotes evil. 20,000 people, Ryan, 20,000 people, what world do we live in, signed this petition that, uh, besides being absolutely ridiculous, featured one huge glaring issue <laughs> slash mistake. What was it? They, uh, they were demanding that Netflix cancel it, but it's an Amazon show. Ding, ding, ding! We have a winner. You just passed the relevance quiz for june 2019 you can be officially deemed pop culturally relevant Hooray! how do you feel i feel very good I feel vindicated do you want to make a you have a, a speech or anyone you'd like to thank uh i would like to thank the atlantic for supplying me with news. <laughs> obviously yeah <laughs> uh, this is now the damage control podcast brought to you by the atlantic i would be down for that we should be an atlantic sponsored show Yes, we should anchor ourselves to a dying industry. That's a great idea. The Atlantic has a thriving website. They're they're not doing. I'm sure it yeah, does. They don't have problems at all. Um, okay. Yeah. So cool. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. You should feel good about all that. Glad to see that, despite you being a doctor in training, uh, you haven't lost sight of what truly matters. <laughs> right. Gotta keep worthless, up with the pop culture worthless bullshit. Information about celebrities and whatnot. <laughs> good job. Thanks. All right. Well, on the other side of the break, I'm going to talk to you about a couple different pop culture things that I got to experience. That was great. Good tease. Thank you. Well, then it's over. It's all over. All of this is meaningless. I did it for her. I did everything for her. And now she's gone. And you you came down here to get the hot story, didn't you? Pictures of me to send you a lousy newspaper. Uh, Frank. Sure, you think I'm a big hero, the man of the hour? Well, do any of you understand how a man can hurt inside? 
Frank, they're not here for you. Weird Al Yankovic is on the plane. All right, we're back. Hopefully, John filled that break with some kind of weird album. It is three thirty-nine. You're listening <laughs> to the Damage Control podcast. That's right. So last week, last weekend, I had the opportunity to uh, go to two different like ticketed events, which is like really out of the norm for me that I would go to two things that aren't like movies in one weekend. Uh, but this, yeah, that's this, too much. That's overkill, the, if you ask me. It's the way the schedule worked out. I had a Friday evening event, and I had a Sunday evening event. So the Friday evening event was a Weird Al concert. Doesn't that make you excited, John? Uh, no. Uh, no, not at all. In fact, Weird Al elicits uh, a reaction from me that I would just describe like as like an eye roll kind of gives me I'm tired head a little really bit. Really surprised by that. I would figure you would love Weird Al. Yeah, it's just not my thing, you know? Not not my thing. Wow. I find him to be kind of grating in a similar what? way that find I find your like face carrot to be top. kind of grating. Many do. You're not the Wait. first person to tell me that. <laughs> Wait, I missed the, the what uh, in a similar way what? I mean, that's. I mean, I find in a similar way that I find carrot top grading. I mean, they're just like how one, I don't dare like Weird Al's you? voice. How <laughs> dare you? Does this he is, is it, have I have I besmirched two people you appreciate? No, I fucking hate carrot top. Carrot top I'm not is saying the they're worst. The same person. Weird Al is in a much higher class of entertainer than carrot top. So you're saying he's high art and carrot top is low art? Oh no 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 no. I just think Carrot Top's really fucking annoying and doesn't really do anything. Yeah. And Weird Al is incredibly intelligent and is and creative, and he creates delightful, like pop culture mashup uh, parodies. Okay, I, I I'll give Weird Al credit for this. He has done a he's done an excellent job of carving out a niche for himself that has led to decades of success, and that obviously takes. Uh, you know a brilliant approach and he's he's milked the shit out of it and kudos to him he's probably made a whole lot of money i'm just not a fan i'm shocked at this news i never appalled i never would have expected this from you i would have thought that you and i was even thinking at the weird Al concert this is something i should have invited john to he would love this like this is this is his people here what does that mean there's a bunch of nerds yes what's up my nerds uh no yeah i I mean i probably haven't even heard that much but i mean there's been the songs that have been around since i was a kid and i think he may have even slightly annoyed me then i just was never a person that really latched on to those parody songs wow well i would rather listen to gangster's paradise by coolio than listen to the weird owl version whatever it was (laughs) amish paradise what was it amish paradise yeah which he did perform in full amish garb by the way uh, uh, I'm sure that were, was a blast. Another there were many an odd thing about changes. him, I bet he doesn't look like he's aged at all. Maybe that's like the benefit of having a really weird look, but that guy doesn't look like he's an old man. But he's in his he's in he's got to be in his sixties, right? I think he's in his fifties. But um, I'll fact check that, that while you, you continue talking. But he definitely about the, has the had he's had sort of like two distinct eras uh the the era with the like shoulder length curly hair and then with the current era which has really been since the 90s where his hair has been like down to his waist he's got real long hair now um oh wow yeah that's weird yeah um 
No, it was so damn entertaining and fun. Um, he uh, he was performing with a symphony orchestra, which is very interesting. Um, and he played like uh, songs spanning his entire career. A lot of stuff I'd never heard of, but um, you know, he's the kind of person that like when he sings, you can understand the words, unless the joke of the song is that you can't understand the words, like his Nirvana cover or parody. Um, but for, so for the most part, like if it's a song you've never heard before, it's real easy to like follow along with what the joke is, uh, because, and that's the thing too, is his parodies aren't just parodies that like, like they're not just riffing on whatever song he's parodying. They're usually also doing something else as well. Like his blurred lines parody is called word crimes and it's just a shit ton of grammar jokes. Um, and a lot of the songs were accompanied by a giant video screen that had like cool, uh, like visuals to go along with the songs. And so they were really cool. Uh, there was a, in particular, like a move, a moving infographic for word crimes of all different, you know, um, like grammar rules he was going over in that song, which was super fun. Um, but I no, I assume that there was a lot of singing along. Yeah, no, well, in certain songs there was, the whole audience was singing with him. I will tell you, though, there was like a 10-year-old kid next to me that knew the words to everything, including the really obscure shit that was clearly from the 80s. Like, there was one song he did that I don't know for sure was a Devo parody, but I'm pretty sure Mm -hmm. it was a Devo parody just because of the way it sounded and stuff, and this kid knew all the words to that one, too. Um... I'm, I'm worried for that kid. I'm worried for his long-term w- safety and his <laughs> mental sanctity. He was a Weird Al super fan. Um, Weird Al is a hell of an entertainer, too. He was all over the stage. He also came down off the stage and frequently was, like, interacting with the audience. He never, like, stopped to tell stories or anything, but he would just come down and, like, in the middle of singing, he would, like, do in- cool interactions and, like, do stuff with the audience and get them involved in the songs. That was really cool. Um, I think the part that was kind of my favorite was the encore when he did his, um, his American Pie parody, which is a song about Star Wars. Um, have you, I'm assuming you've heard that one, John. Like it's a, it's a song all about Anakin Skywalker. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, he had gone off the stage as if the show was over. That's an interesting, uh, 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 like. I don't know what you call that tradition, social construction that we've maintained that when artists finish playing the last song of their gig, there's just an automatic encore as well. I wonder. That drives, some, yeah, it's weird. At, what's that? Say that again. It, it's weird. It drives me crazy a little bit. Yeah. It's just, I mean, I'm it's sure. always planned. It's never organic, right? There's always exactly. like a selected, you look at a band's like a uh, song, their set list. And there's one that's already earmarked as their encore, you know, it's just like, okay, why do we, why do we do this to ourselves? Is it just right. so we can have the moment? Yes. That's, it's weird. Cause it's some, you know, at some point that's not how it was. It was, you know, if the, if the mood was right and the audience was, you know, applauding enough or however it worked, right. then they would come back yeah. on and play one more song. Now it's just like an automatic, there's always an encore thing. Anyway, this is, that's neither here nor there. Uh, so he came back and uh, he was in the full Anakin Jedi, like from episode one garb. And there were probably like 20 stormtroopers on stage along with a life-size moving R2-D2 and a Darth Vader. And um, that's, it's a long song because it's a parody of the day the music died, uh, which is like a, like five or six minute song. And it's perfectly like written to be Anakin's, 
entire like story from the phantom menace and like the thousands of people in the audience all sang it in unison together and it was like super fun like it was awesome it was terrific um so i really enjoyed that the only down the, the only like like uh bad part of the night was the sound mix was not great uh, something was going wrong where like all of the, the lower end of the audio spectrum, like where basses and all the, the lower notes from the orchestra or the lower instruments from the orchestra were just kind of missing from the sound mix and you were getting all of the higher stuff. And it was weird because when they would play video, sometimes his costume changes would take a little bit of time where he needed a break. So they would play like five minutes of videos and stuff. And it would be like different things of weird Al throughout pop culture, like, you know, cameos on family guy or the thing from the naked gun that he's in or whatever. Um, that was all perfect. Like the sound coming from the video was mixed just fine, but the, whatever audio was coming off of the stage was kind of fucked. Uh, and that, that was, that was frustrating, but, uh, yeah, if you've never seen weird Al and he's coming to tour near you and you're a fan of weird Al, I guess you'd need to be a fan of weird Al. Um, I would highly recommend going. He's a hell of an entertainer. Hmm. All right. Well, I mean, that wasn't enough to change my mind, but, uh, you know, he seems he seems like a good human being and he makes wholesome content that everyone can enjoy. I just don't happen to enjoy it. That's so sad. Um okay. Well, so then the other thing uh, that happened, that was Friday night and then Sunday night I went to the Music Hall at Fair Park. I have season tickets to the um the the Dallas Summer Musicals and it's all Broadway shows. And this this was the month where we got to see Aladdin, the uh, the Broadway uh, version of Aladdin, which is good timing because the Aladdin movie is out, and I've seen the Aladdin movie as well. And the Aladdin movie is not very good. It's okay, <laughs> but it's not great. Right. But the Broadway show is fantastic. It's really really mm. good, um, and it makes you wonder why they didn't just adapt the Broadway show. <laughs> Like or take what's work what works about the Broadway show because the you know the main thing if you're going to do Aladdin and it's not going to be the cartoon is what do you do with the genie because Robin Williams' performance is so iconic how can you have something that's like that that isn't just immediately dismissed as not Robin Williams and what they do in the Broadway show is it's sort of similar to what they had Robin Williams do which is make you sort of make the genie know that he's in a play. You know, like he addresses the audience. Yeah, he, uh, he makes all kinds of pop culture reference. But because it's a live show, he can make very up to the minute pop culture references that probably change all the time, uh, because they can just update the script whenever they want. Um, so he made like lots of really cool, like very topical jokes that were really fun. Uh, they also, because it's a Disney show, and that means they have license to the entire Disney catalog if they want. He would just all of a sudden break out in songs from other Disney musicals, which was really fun. Um, he's just the, the, the performer and also the way that, that, that part is written is, uh, a show stopping, like really entertaining version of the genie. And it's just too bad. They didn't kind of like take that version of him and put him in the movie. Cause he's, you know, he's still doing the same songs Robin Williams did, but he's, it's got such a different spin on it that it's different enough where you don't constantly be like, well, but Robin Williams is better, you know? Um, right. Yeah. The thing that I think is the most interesting about that show, other than the genie, is that they sp have, they spend so much money on one set, which is the set of the Cave of Wonders, that you can tell that there's just not a lot of money left over in the budget for like 
other really good sets. So the sets of like Agrabah and the sets they have to work with on like, you know, like the street chase at the beginning and stuff are really bare bones. And it's like a really hmm. pitiful street chase. <laughs> like yeah. you don't you don't believe for a minute that he's actually having to run from anybody on stage because he's just running around in circles in the same spot basically. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder and why like, they didn't like open it up and use like the entire like uh the auditorium. No, that that's a cool. it's a good question. I don't know. And I mean he does climb up on like some like little buildings they build for the stage. So there's a little bit of that, but like it's just a little I found that to be a little pathetic. Um hmm. and then I also thought that the second act was a little like like they I think they felt the need to cram in a couple more songs and it really slows the plot down um but other than that I thought the the the, the Broadway musical is really fun and it, it's worth the price of admission just to experience the genie because that part is so cool and then I sent you this video and asked you twice to watch it I'm curious if you watch did you watch it I did yes thank okay. you for <laughs> no your approach was like it's only like three minutes just watch it like as <laughs> if and that was what baited me you know like okay this is not a huge investment of time and so right. yes i did make good and i listened to it okay cool so there's this video that espn did um it's called the science of sports i guess it's like a series of videos they do where they yeah. sort of break down mm -hmm. how the human body works and stuff but they did one on the the um the uh the the genie in aladdin and the guy that's featured in the video he's uh, not only did he perform on broadway but he's part of the touring company and he was the guy we saw perform in dallas uh and he's yeah. from fort he's from fort worth by the way um oh nice yeah so uh, basically what they what they do is they look at like how much oxygen is in his body and like how how it is that he can he can perform uh, such a demanding role because he's just talking a mile a minute he's singing a mile a minute he's dancing he's moving around he's just doing so much and uh they they get into like his breathing method and how he has to like you know breathe to make sure he's got extra oxygen in his body and like all that stuff i thought it was fascinating yeah it was cool um it it did i mean some of the things in there really interesting like it showed his his resting heart rate beforehand and then like right before he's about to you know go out for his first number or whatever his first appearance on stage like his his heart rate basically doubles and it was like 155 i think and then like right as he like loads himself into this tube which is the thing that like raises him on stage like i guess when aladdin rubs the lamp or whatever like he's he's done some dia diaphragmatic breathing to lower his heart rate by like uh you know 20 beats a minute uh, yeah a lot of that stuff was really cool i was mostly fascinated with that's a big dude yeah like that is not a small man and i guess they showed some clips from like other performers that are in that same role and this guy is easily the biggest of them i mean and like he's being interviewed by the host of the segment or whatever and he's in street clothes and you know the dude's got a pretty sizable midsection which i'm saying that from a place of no judgment as someone who also has a midsection uh and so that's i think what impressed me the most like this guy is uh, having to move around a lot. And I know this, like, from my experience, and you probably have dealt with this, too. Um, but, you know, when I'm out of habit in terms, like, I haven't presented in a while, like, had to go through a, a long presentation or lecture or whatever the case is, or maybe, like, I'm really out of shape because sometimes, you know, my fitness levels vary. Uh, sometimes you get, like, you get that whole, like, huffy, like, out of breath, like, I've been talking too much and I'm losing my air. I'm not doing a good job of keeping my breathing steady and you know like I'm, I'm moving around a lot and it's just like man i know this sounds more huffy than i'd want it to that dude's belting out numbers uh while he's at like 85 percent of his, his max heart rate it's insane 
Yeah, no, it's it, it's it's very impressive, and the fact that he doesn't just do that like once a week either. He does it uh, when it's eight shows a week, um, and he's on tour, so he's not you know he's he's constantly moving and traveling and performing constantly, and he's able to do that is super impressive. I'd be very curious to see that guy's diet because he's got to eat like a sumo wrestler because you got to be crazy hungry by the end of that thing, right. famished. Yes. So anyway, so there you go. That's Weird Al and Aladdin. Um, I wouldn't recommend the movie. I mean, the movie's fine, uh, but it's not great. I would very much recommend the show if it comes to your town or anywhere near you and you're inclined to go to the theater. Well, it's good to be a patron of the arts. That's right. Yeah, I haven't been to uh, a live musical in quite some time. It's been really nice having the season tickets this year. You know, I got them just so I could see Hamilton. Right. Because it was kind of right. the most economical way and the the one way to ensure that you got tickets. Uh, but I've been enjoying it so much that we're, uh, me and my friends, we're renewing for next year. And we're going we're gonna to do it wow. again next year. Yeah. Very, very bougie of you. But uh, that's that's cool. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. Uh, so that's Adventures in Rhineland. Uh, coming up after the break, we're going to get to the twin movie talk. And uh, John's going to talk to you about that one. Dearest Vincent, I know you don't know who I am, but believe me, I came halfway across whoa, whoa, the world. Whoa, 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 whoa. I got another six hours to pay the money back. And tell the claim brothers that harassing a man who's already in the slammer is beneath even them, all right? I don't know any claim brothers. I'm your brother, Julius. Huh? Come again? My name is Julius, and I'm your twin brother. Oh, obviously. The moment I sat down, I thought I was looking into a mirror. We are not identical twins. (gasps) Oh, no? No. Well, I wouldn't be too sure, pal. All right, John. This fucking twin movie talk thing you want to do. Why are you so opposed to this? I don't understand. I think it would have been different had you not like like contextualized the whole thing by sending me a really bullshit Wikipedia list. We'll get to that. Don't get don't get ahead of ourselves of, or yourself. Uh, yeah. Well, you've ruined this entire segment, so that's fine. I do you, that all the time. You let in with just a really negative attitude, and it's just <laughs> you just shat all over. <laughs> what this segment was going to be uh so this has been kind of in a placeholder position in my brain for a couple weeks because i've been wanting to talk about it i'll be honest i don't know if there's a lot of meat on this bone uh so this might be a short segment but i've promised that before and it hasn't always panned out uh but i want to say it was a couple weeks ago and it was at an orientation i've already talked about doing those and normally i like to come up with some kind of question uh maybe a couple questions so you know for example the other day I asked uh, what, you know, I asked them what their favorite YouTube channel was because uh, I wanted to see, you know, was I aware of what they were watching and and I wasn't. Uh, and then, you know, I asked them if they preferred hot or cold and we took a poll to see which one won. Like, uh, would they rather be hot or cold? Uh, but a while back I asked the question, what's a movie that you really like that most people think is bad? You know, like a movie that was panned, but for whatever reason, uh, you liked it, you know, like, and you don't have to specify. And we've talked about this before. Like, even though I know it's a bad movie, it was not critically well received. It did make a whole bunch of money. Um, but it's just a weird Frankenstein of a movie with, uh, that suffers from some of the worst, you know, superhero movie downfalls ever. And that's Suicide Squad. It's a terrible movie, but I enjoy watching it. I just do. 
okay so that's kind of my example no i know it's it's not it's it's indefensible but uh, here we are um so i think i posed this question and one of my co-workers amanda not uh not thrilled with the question she was having trouble coming up with a with an answer but i think at some point in the conversation we got to talking about the movie volcano yeah and then that 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 uh you know reminded us of the movie dante's peak which came out around the same time very similar concepts and then i was like you know it's interesting you think about all the examples of that happening there's got to be a term for that you know i'm not i'm not a film school graduate ryan i'm coming at this from a position of a lay person this is not the kind of thing you talk about at film school (laughs) I, i doubt that diegetic guy uh so anyway i did what most people in my situation would do i just i came up with the most awkward google phrase i could think of movies that have similar plots or something like that uh and i i found that there was a wikipedia entry for twin films that was a phrase i had never heard before i'd never heard him called that before either but to be honest i don't know that i had a term in my head for I always just thought of it as the kind of thing, like I would just always reference Deep Impact on Armageddon and Examples. be like, like that, like that's yeah. that's what I would, that's right. how I would refer to it. No, that makes sense. Oh, by the way, I just pulled out my iPad and I forgot to chime in during the last segment. We we were both correct. Weird Al is fifty nine years old, so yes, he is nearly in his sixties. So I'm claiming victory there, but he's also in his fifties. Only five in years case, older than uh, Keanu Reeves. That that is a crazy fact that just blew my mind what you did there i know that was just math but that blew my mind uh anyway so yeah like it, we just start we start, start started coming up with examples of twin movies uh and let's see how would we define this for the listener a twin movie would be something that like two movies that have very similar plots that come out you know within a similar time frame no i think and it's off, more than can, that though okay. because it's not give me it, give me more because there's there's a lot of movies that have similar plots that come out in the same sure. year okay. i think it also, it also has to be kind of like a high concept kind of movie where it's like a movie like this doesn't come out very often and then the year it comes out another one just like it comes out yeah okay so here's here's a, an article from the independent which i know is not the atlantic but we'll just have to deal <laughs> uh this is a, a list i sent you it says the term refers to the release of two features extremely close in subject matter within weeks of one another despite the studios presumably having a good idea what their rivals currently have in the pipeline uh and there's a lot of really interesting stories here uh but yeah so i found this wikipedia entry and i told you because sometimes if i don't send you a text with an idea of a segment that i have I, i'll forget it entirely you know that's my way of like writing down the note sometimes and even you still it to me, you still forget <laughs> yeah and, and even still again. i sometimes forget right <laughs> sometimes well sometimes i have a really good idea twice twice <laughs> whatever anyway uh, so I've been wanting to talk about this, uh, but I did make the mistake of sending you a Wikipedia article that has a very long list of about twin films, and it sent you into a rage <laughs> that I can't come to terms with. It really set you off. It did. It's a bullshit list. It's it's got weight. Like it's a thing that happens enough where there probably should be a Wikipedia article about it, and there should be a list 
of the kinds of films where it's happened with. That doesn't mean that you should just start listing any films that are similar to each other that came out in the same year as if it's the same thing. To wit, something like Rambo 2 and Commando coming out in the same year, those aren't twin films. Those films are so different from each other. They just happen to be 80s action movies. And a feature of 80s action movies tended to be that the main protagonist had to do a lot of the work on his own. Right? So you've got like, you know, uh, it's a Schwarzenegger movie and a Stallone movie where they're killing a whole bunch of people by themselves. That's just a thing about 80s action movies. So it's they're not twin films. Um, and then there's other things on here that, like, the first one, because I, 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 John asked me to, like, look at the list again and make note of the ones that pissed me off. And I made a list of 15, <laughs> which I'm yeah, not going to go overboard. I'm not going to go over overboard. all of them. But the very first one I have on the list is Dr. Strangelove and Failsafe. Dr. Strangelove is a parody of Failsafe. Like, they're not twin films. One of them is sure. is commenting on the other one. Like, that's... So that's different. Or Sweet Sweetback... Uh, sweet, sweet, oh, man, I can't talk. Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song and Shaft. Like, all the... Th- the only thing that's similar about those two movies is they're exploitation films. There's nothing else. They just exist in right. the same, like, weird subgenre of 70s films. Like, the, yeah, those are and not twins films. Twin films. Sure. And I, I kept having to say, like, oh, I, I don't want to scroll back through our texts, but, like, your level of outrage, <laughs> it, it was as if, like, I insulted your family, you know? Like, I sent you a disparaging article about your mother and father, because you came back so strongly at me for even referencing this list, and what I, I tried to talk you off the ledge by saying, like, Ryan, it's Wikipedia, it's literally out there for anyone to add to that table, that list of movies. Anyone can add anything, and yet that you're like, that's no excuse. It's no. This is they a have terrible on, list. This is a bullshit here, list. They have Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, and Tu Wong Fu. Thanks for everything, Julie Newmar, on this list. Sure. Tu Wong Fu. Thanks for everything, Julie Newmar, is a remake of Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. Like, that's not a twin film if it's a remake. Yeah, no, I'm not saying this list is perfect because the last one that you have written on there I also think is bullshit. Batman vs. Superman, Dawn of Justice, and Captain America Civil War. Yeah, they came around, came out around the same time. They have competing superheroes in them, uh, but they're also but they're stories different. that have been around yeah. for a while, and they're very different. Right. Uh, the timing is just because that's uh, where we were. I mean, that's still where we are with competing superhero titles. They also included, like, Captain Marvel and Shazam, and we've talked about the history of those characters, but those movies are really different. They just both happen to be superhero characters. Right. Yeah. And then, and yeah. some of them, I think, are a little more, like, that you could argue. Like, I put on my list Observant Report and Paul Blart Mall Cop. And I think there's an argument to be made for that one being a tw- those those two being twin films because you don't typically have movies about mall cops and so it sort of fits that uniqueness of concept thing that I was talking about. But they're sure. so different from each other, like so so different that it's hard for me to like say that they're twin films because like one of them is a Kevin James broad comedy, the other one is like a really really dark 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 comedy, really dark. Um, just, I've never seen Observant Report. It's on my Netflix uh, list, but I've not watched it. It's worth a watch once, but I actually think it's really kind of like disturbing. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, and this so, has Bicentennial yeah. Man and then AI. And I want to say Bicentennial Man, what's that? That's Robin Williams, right? Yes, as a robot. And that's as a robot. And that's that's I remember that being weird. And then it it has AI, which 
those movies aren't similar at all in my I head. mean other than the fact that they're about like artificially intelligent robots they don't have right. a whole lot else in common right now some of these that you have listed that you agree with under the category fuck this list I just want to be sure that the listeners are fully aware of how angry this has made you um <laughs> You have Saving Private Ryan and Thin Red Line. I will be honest in saying I've never seen the Thin Red Line, but didn't these, these movies definitely came out right around the same time, and like that they were, they were like the main focal point of award season that year. That's what my memory is right, of like yeah, 1998 yeah. or whatever. Yeah, but they're just they're just World War II movies. That's all they have in common. Like tonally, they're very different. Narratively, they're very different. One of them's a Terrence Malick film. Like Terrence Malick makes. No one makes Terrence Malick films. Like, he's the only person. He doesn't make movies like anybody else. No one else makes movies like him. Or if they do, they're, like, really bad copies. So they're, they couldn't be more worlds apart, like, tonally or stylistically. The only thing they have in common, or maybe two things, is that they're World War II movies with really big ensemble casts. That's it. Okay. All right. Well, let's uh, let's kind of talk you off the ledge, uh, or get you off the ledge. I'm not going to talk you off the ledge. You're going to get yourself down yourself because you're a grown ass man. Uh, but uh, <laughs> you know, before we get to the uh, a, a more approved list and talk about some of our favorite examples of twin films, uh, give me a film guy explanation, a film school graduate explanation of why we might experience this phenomenon. Yeah, I was thinking about this today, and I think I think it's a, there's probably like a few factors at work, and I think part of it has to do with um, like, in particular, with things like Dante's Peak and Volcano, and also Armageddon and Deep Impact. I think some of it is kind of like uh, the cultural anxieties at the at the moment, you know. Yeah, so like. Right in the late nineties we're dealing both with climate change, but also the year 2000 and like, mm-hmm. you know, Y2K and will it be the end yeah. of the world and all that kind of stuff. And sure. so I think that stuff is in the air. And then at the same time, we're reaching a moment in the development of technology where you can actually tell these stories in a way you haven't been able to before. And it seems to be popular because of things like independence day and so the studios start rushing to make these kinds of movies. Now, how you end up with two volcano movies in the same year, I think is a lot of like just Hollywood's is not when it's when it's trying to pump out stuff to make money, it is not always the most creative like business in the world. Um, and so I think you just end up with a lot of like if it's the lowest common denominator idea, it's real easy to think of. <laughs> and so sure. two studios think of it at the same time. Uh, there could be some, you know, um, like foul play involved where people have. Moles okay, yeah, in that was going to be my question. <laughs> yeah, because uh, this this Wikipedia entry says something about like uh, some attribute twin films to industrial espionage. Right. Uh, so I mean, so is it like ah, here are those those crazy cats from Mourners are making this kind of picture? We we've got to follow suit. Like, does that happen as much as we think it is? I don't I don't know. I mean, I, I can tell you from personal experience, I've been on the other end of it a couple of times. Just from the, if you have on your bingo card, Ryan lived in Los Angeles for a year. From the year <laughs> that, I, uh, that I lived in Los Angeles and worked at a film production company, I remember we were working on a, a bank robbery picture that had Lucy Liu attached to it. And I'm struggling to remember the name of it right now. Uh, never got made, uh, but I remember it was about a woman who is like a, um, uh, like a bank manager, 
and these guys break into her house and kidnap her children and tell her like look you got to go to the bank and rob the bank for us and if you do that we'll let your family go and we're like right in the middle of working on this and then all of a sudden all these trailers drop (laughs) for this Harrison Ford movie called Firewall where he plays a bank manager and these people break into his house and kidnap his kids and tell him like you got to break into the bank or we're going to kill everybody in your family and so the uh, this the the company sent me to the movie on their dime, like to the movies, and said, "Go watch Firewall and tell us how similar it is to our movie." Um, and it turned out it was uh, way more like cyber tech focused than the one we were working on was. Uh, so it wasn't it wasn't and that movie ended up not getting made for a whole lot of reasons, and that that probably was one <laughs> of them. But um, and it happened with something else too. There was another film they had that was like only partially in development that was like stunningly similar to a there's this Robert De Niro film with Dakota Fanning where he's like her father but also her psychiatrist and they're trying to help her get over her mother's death and uh the the big twist is that De Niro killed the mother um and that's why the daughter's acting so weird all the time because she knows that her father killed her mother but he's got like split personalities or whatever so he doesn't know um and that was the big twist in the script that we had uh, and so there was a lot of debate in the company if we should even like move forward with it and all that sort of thing. So, I mean, it just, I think it just, it just happens. Like there's not, it's just real easy for people to sort of have similar ideas for movies and then for them to uh, get made at the same time. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I will also say to your credit, that was one of the more interesting LA stories you've ever told us. Oh, Thanks. Yeah, good work. I'm happy to cross that off my bingo sheet. Okay, so we've talked about uh, how much you hate the list, uh, why we might run into this idea of twin films, uh, but let's look at some classic examples. Uh, and I'll be curious to hear if in any of these pairings, if maybe like you like one way more than the other, and especially if the one that you like is not the like more accepted winner of the showdown between the two. So well, the right off the bat, you know is, which one it is. <laughs> Uh, uh, I think I do. I'm confused, but we'll get there. Uh, so the first one on this list is Tombstone and White Earp. We re- recently talked about these movies, right. and Tombstone is the clear winner there. And I don't enjoy White Earp at all. I like White Earp better, but it, that, that's probably that's more a function that, of me really not liking Tombstone because <laughs> White Earp's not great. I forgot. I forgot. I, I had again. There's so many times where like you'll bring up a hot sports opinion that I just have to like repress because otherwise i can't continue our friendship and podcasting partnership and that's one of them you forgot we had a whole like hour-long conversation about it how did you forget i just explained it to you it makes me mad and it warps my impression of you as a as a person you know and i i can't keep working with you if i don't respect you in any way and so i have to make sure i bury that deep like i've buried so many other things Okay, well, yeah, Tombstone is obviously the better movie. I think I'm on the right side of history there, and I'm going to have to go re-listen to that episode, apparently. Uh, Then you have the one we were talking about before, Dante's Peak and Volcano. I don't think I've seen Volcano. I remember Dante's Peak, though. That's got Pierce Brosnan in it. Yeah, I definitely have seen both, but I've seen Volcano more because it was on HBO constantly. Um, Hmm. And I, I like Volcano. I don't remember Dante speak enough to tell you if I like it or don't like it. But I, I okay. Volcano is cheesy as fuck, and it's got this, yeah, like it's got this ridiculous 
like mo- like moralizing tone at the end because there's this shot at the end of the movie where like everyone's covered in volcanic ash and like everyone is the same like everyone looks like they're the same color or the same race for a moment and it's like oh we're all in harmony now and it's like dude you're a volcano movie calm down <laughs> yeah yeah you wonder if maybe uh some of the inspiration came from uh the mount saint helens eruption which i think was like in the early 80s or something i mean that's i that's guess that's a long gestation up- period well, you also have to think that, like, maybe they, you know, like, would it would have been hard to convincingly do a uh, a volcano movie without developments in CG? Who knows? Oh, that's true. Okay, that's true. yeah. Uh, then the other, I mean, this is, I think, everyone's classic example. The one that, like, people, you know, who have never heard of this concept can, like, oh yeah, like this and this, and that would be Deep Impact and Armageddon. What's your favorite between the two? Armageddon. I mean, I know. I know you're a huge Michael Bay fan, so... <laughs> no, I hate Michael Bay, but that movie is ridiculous and fun, so... And I don't... Yeah, I, I think... I definitely uh-huh. saw Deep Impact at least once, but I don't remember enough about it to really have a good opinion about if it's good or not. Yeah, I think Deep Impact's the winner for me there. Uh, I think it's the one I saw first. Of course, I'm going to appreciate Morgan Freeman as president, a role he's gone on to reprise. Um... I thought Armageddon was ridiculous. Deep Impact was was fun. I don't like Taya Leone. She's in it. Not a huge fan of hers. Uh, this is when she had that sitcom on ABC, I think it was, in the ni- late 90s. Yeah, I wasn't a huge fan of hers. But I do remember, like, a the scene that stands out to me is when they're, like, standing on a beach as this giant... Her and her father standing on a beach as this giant tsunami is, like, barreling towards them. Um, anyway... I, I also like the the concept in that where like the little kid like this kid young kid I won't say little kid but this kid is the one that discovers the asteroid. So Elijah and Wood sends everything into yeah Elijah Wood it sends everything into uh, motion. So I think Deep Impact's the winner for me there, even though I know people love Armageddon, but they both did well. I want to say yeah, actually I kind of uh, want to watch Deep Impact again. I I've seen Armageddon within the last couple of years. I actually talked about it on the podcast. I think our first summer. Um, but uh, yeah. it's been so long since I've seen Deep Impact. It would be worth it to watch it again. Because wasn't there like some kind of commentary commentary track, and that's why you rewatched Armageddon? Yeah, I watched it once, like for realsies, and then I watched it again with Ben Affleck commentary to listen to that's him it. Uh, make fun of the movie the whole time. <laughs> that's enjoyable. And then, of course, uh, both from 1998, you have Ants and a bug's life and apparently this came about like as a feud between steve jobs john lasseter and jeffrey katzenberg so this is dreamworks versus disney pixar i have to this day have never seen ants never seen it uh i've seen it a few times but again it's because it was on hbo all the time but that was like okay like that year it was like 99 or 2000 probably it was like when i was still in high school uh mm-hmm. and i honestly don't remember what it's about anymore i just remember that it's got sylvester stallone in it well, that's weird. It also yeah, has it uh, Woody Allen, which yes. uh, is a little unfortunate. But well, as this Bugs article life points out, Kevin Bugs Spacey, Life has yeah. Kevin Spacey. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. So I, I, I've seen Bugs Life. I know I've seen it multiple times. I've never seen Ants. And even I remember thinking then, like, wow, these are really similar. Uh, and it looked, it just looked like Ants was a low-rent version of it, which often is the case, I guess – that's not i don't know you'd have to decide whether or not that fits into your definition of twin films but sometimes you'll have like 
the legit version and then like because of the legit version success you have a low budget low rent version of it so an example that comes to mind is you have a quiet place which obviously a critical darling and did very well at the box office and then you have this movie on netflix now that seems very similar in premise called the silence with stanley tucci and kiernan shipka um and it looks like a very like similar movie but it's obviously the low rent cousin of a quiet place i have not seen it yet it's on my list yeah when that happens it's not a twin film i put a couple of examples where that's bullshit uh, on my like fuck this list list and uh, like mm-hmm. like Zodiac which is the David Fincher film came out the same year as The Zodiac which is a very low budget like uh, exploitation version of the Zodiac story uh, same thing with The Craft and Little Witches like the Little Witches is the more low budget version that came out the same year like that's it's just people capitalizing on the same idea but you know pumping out like a low budget version right yeah I guess that's a rule of uh, movie making, right? There's a legit version, there's a low rent knockoff, and then there's a porn version. Those three things exist. Yes. That can be a, f- a future segment. We'll review the porn versions of all these twin films. Okay, uh, you got Mission to Mars and Red Planet. I have seen neither of these, I've despite my appreciation seen... of space. <laughs> I've definitely seen both. I don't remember either of them, except that I remember Red Planet... Um, you know, sometimes when we send like Mars rovers to uh, mm-hmm. Mars, uh, they Mars. don't they don't quite Mars, land. Mars. <laughs> they don't quite land as they do bounce because they have these big inflatable balloons, and so you know those balloons sort of deploy and it helps cushion the landing and they kind of bounce around before they settle. Uh, they decided to like take that concept and adapt it or uh, translate it into like a human craft, and so that's how they land on Mars is with the bouncy one and Red Planet. I remember thinking that was real silly. Hmm. Fair, but we all know the preeminent Mars movie is 2015's The Martian, featuring right. one of my favorite actors, Mr. Matt Damon. You know, I've been listening um, to that score while I've been studying the last few weeks, and it's a really good score uh-huh. to listen to while you're getting work done. Okay good to know are you like doing math that involves your own feces and potatoes i am sciencing the shit out of it (laughs) uh in 2006 2006 apparently ryan the year of magic because we had uh christopher nolan's the prestige and then the illusionist featuring edward norton you know i've never Uh, seen the the illusionist i've seen the prestige a bunch and i think it's probably nolan's best or maybe second best film it's real real good um but oh, interesting. Uh, okay i've i've not seen the illusionist so i can't comment on that one i i own it uh i was taken by well let's see i remember friends showed me the prestige and i was like wow this movie's awesome so i bought it and then i was like oh the illusionist it's another magic movie that came out around the same time i have only seen it the one time though and i don't remember much about it but the prestige is the clear winner so yeah that's not much of a competition this next one i have not seen either of them but i it has a really interesting note here that i'll read but this is uh capote and then in infamous uh, Cap- uh capote came out in 2005 that's the one that uh features the late uh philip seymour hoffman right yes in his academy yes. award-winning role yes he won an oscar for it and then infamous came out in 2006 now the interesting note here is that hollywood producer bingham ray at one point told the new yorker that he remembered taking a phone call from douglas mcgrath who is the uh, director and screenwriter of infamous and he was telling him that he had completed the script and uh, apparently the guy said i know i've got it on my desk 
but apparently he was talking about the other script for Capote. So I think that's an interesting side note, a nice little it anecdote is. to this it's discussion. Uh, two movies that I have no interest in ever watching. You have No Strings Attached and Friends with Benefits. Both of them came out in 2011. And if you ask me which one was which, I couldn't tell you. No idea. Yeah, one has Ashton one. Kutcher and Natalie Portman, and the other one is Justin Timberlake and Mila Kunis. I'm going to say if I had to choose between those ones, I would go with Natalie Portman if I could have a friend with benefits. Oh, I'd go with those two people. I'd go with Mila Kunis. Um, Really? Interesting. You know what's funny, though, is when you said that, I had the casts mixed up in my head. I thought it was Ashton Kutcher and Mila Kunis and Natalie Portman and Justin Timberlake. They should make like a coupling movie, like a a movie about uh, swinging that features those four people. (laughs) You know what, like I would, a, a what I would a weird non sequitur follow up. What I would prefer to see is the one with Ashton Kutcher and Justin Timberlake. Okay, where they try to be would, uh, friends with benefits themselves. Yeah, I think that would be fascinating. Maybe they're you know like they're coming to question their sexuality later in life and right. end up in that situation. Okay, that's right. All right, pitch it. Write the pitch, <laughs> and you obviously know some executives in the film industry. You can get it on their desk. Uh, and then you have recent examples. These came out in 2013. White House Down and Olympus Has Fallen. Again, I couldn't tell you which one is which. I'm pretty sure that Morgan Freeman is president in at least one of them, if not he's, both. He's president in Olympus Has Fallen. Uh, Jamie Foxx okay. is president in White House Down. Um, Interesting. I, I have not seen White House Down, even though it stars Charming Potato. Um, yeah. But Charming Potato. Yes. I have seen The Olympus Has Fallen, though, and I actually really like that movie. The sequel is utter garbage, the one that takes place in London. It's terrible, but the first one I actually quite liked. Okay, interesting. I wonder what, you know, like, what was the uh, inspiration for this? Was this, like, conservative film writers being, like, angry with Obama, and that inspired them to write these movies about the White House being attacked? I don't know. I don't... I, I, I don't know enough about who made them and I don't really remember the politics of oh Let's you know speculate what wildly you know what, what? Um, Morgan Freeman doesn't play the president in Olympus has fallen Aaron Eckhart does I do think Morgan oh. Freeman's in it though I think he plays like the Secretary of State or something wait um, so has Morgan Freeman been the president more than in just deep impact am I missing so- he's obviously been God but has he been president more than once? Uh, sorry, I don't know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Is this conversation boring you? <laughs> it's 4:25. You're listening to the Damage Control podcast, and apparently, it's nap time for one of the hosts. Um. Anyway, the last example on here. Uh, while I, well, you can look it up while I finish this list. A movie called Marguerite and a movie called Florence Foster Jenkins. I haven't heard of a single one of these, and I feel like we're going out with a whimper, not with a bang, because I don't know nothing about those things. I don't know nothing about nothing. What do you got for me? Uh, You got some Morgan Freeman facts? Yeah, I got the Morgan Freeman thing. He played the president in Deep Impact. He played Speaker of the House in Olympus Has Fallen. And uh, apparently he's also played a role in the Supreme Court, but I don't know what movie. Bonfire of the Vanities, which is... Uh, famously terrible movie. So he's only played president okay. once. Oh, man. Then I was mistaken before. My apologies. This is why uh, you listen to this podcast, because we fact-check ourselves. We would never push false information. 
to be fair, if he's when he was playing Speaker of the House, he was only third in line to be president. So yeah, he's close. He's closer than we are. You know, it's very true. Yeah, I think if Morgan Freeman like legitimately ran for president, he would he would stand a chance of getting elected. Yeah, you know, he's got a really weird relationship with his step granddaughter or something, and I think that would prevent him from holding higher office. Like weird as in incestuous. Well, yeah, I don't I know think nothing. they're related by blood, so sure. it's not quite incestuous, but there's a, there's a thing there that I just choose not to explore. All right, that's weird. That makes me uncomfortable. And that brings the uh, discussion of twin films to an end. Thank you for making this awkward. <sighs> Anytime. Stop it. Stop it. <laughs> do whatever you have to do. Jumping jacks, uh, funneling... Butt chugging a pot of coffee. Do what you have to do. <laughs> butt chugging a pot of coffee. It's terrible. Can you imagine? That would be a that that would be an immediate Darwin Award winner. Man you... receives third degree burns on his anus after trying to butt chug a pot of coffee. Oh, I mean, clearly, I would use cold brew. Oh yeah, I do have some cold brew in my fridge right now. Obviously, <laughs> bought from the grocery store and not uh, self made because I don't. You don't do make that your stuff, own cold but, brew. Uh, it's so easy. Oh my gosh, food guy. You know what's also easy? Buying it pre-made at the grocery store. All right, tease right. the next segment so we can yeah, finish this damn thing. The, the, <laughs> that's the end of that segment, thank God. On the other side of the break, uh, we're going to talk about the new John Favreau show on Netflix called The Chef Show. I'm going to make love to you, woman. Going to lay you down by the fire. And caress your womanly body, make you moan and perspire. Gonna get those juices flowing. We're making love, baby, love, baby, love, 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 baby. Yeah. Huh? Now, John, are you a fan of the movie Chef from 2014? Never. Uh, never, never, never saw it. You never, never saw, saw Chef, dude. You got to see Man. Chef. It's so good. I've disappointed you several times this episode. You have, like, you got to just like rent it. It's like you can rent it on iTunes or whatever. Like, you got to rent Chef. It's super good. Are you telling me that it's? I'm pretty sure it's streaming somewhere. It's. I mean, that counts as streaming when you rent it on iTunes. Oh, but I'm uh, streaming for free somewhere where oh. I would not have to pay for it because that's. I know it's it, going to be a barrier for entry for me. It has been on Netflix in the past. I don't know that it is now. It's too bad that it... I don't think it is, but you'd think they would have figured out a way to yeah, make sure they have it licensed right now because it's the whole reason right. they're doing this show. Yeah, you would think. Yeah, so if, for those that don't know, John Favreau made a movie in 2014 called Chef, and it's about a... Uh, he plays he plays the movie... In, wow, I can't talk right now. He wrote, directed, and starred in the movie, um, and it's about a guy who sort of came up the food world and very quickly, kind of like a meteoric rise, and then found himself working in like a very hoity-toity fancy restaurant. And it was kind of he's kind of stagnating and kind of doing the same thing over and over again and feeling stifled by the, the his manager or the restaurant owner. He can't cook the way he wants to cook. And uh, he kind of gets this awful review and just kind of goes ballistic and ends up quitting and starts a food truck. And that story is basically the story also of a real life chef named Roy. Ch- I think it's Choi is his last name. I think it's Roy Choi. Uh, he's a guy who came up, had his own restaurant, decided to quit, started a food truck, and his food truck became very, very famous. 
and he's become a celebrity chef now. And he is the guy that John Favreau went to to train him for the movie so that he could look like he was cooking for real in the movie. And it's very impressive when you watch it, the way it's filmed, uh, they, they take care to make sure that you can see that it's really John Favreau, you know, doing all the really like fast chopping and doing all the stuff. He's doing his own work. It's kind of like when an actor learns how to play the piano for a role, you know, that's always kind of impressive. Um, so Chef is a delight. It's really, really good. It also serves as kind of a meta commentary for John Favreau's career, which we could talk about later if you want. Um, but it's a really delightful film. It's kind of happiness in a, in a in a bottle. Plus, it's got really terrific food porn in it. It's the food is gorgeous. So fast forward to now, what what's kind of happened is at least the way John Favreau has set up this show, that he really enjoyed cooking with Roy, learning to cook for the movie. And then the movie was over, and so they stopped working together. And he was like, hey, I still want to learn to cook more. I still want to hang out with you. And so they just started rolling camera on them cooking together in the in the in in their kitchen. And they would also bring in people and talk. And so it's kind of this show where they, like, talk with people. Like, it's, it's mostly other chefs, but sometimes there's movie stars on there, too, or stand-up comedians. And they just kind of, like, cook stuff and talk about, like, how they came to learn to make this or what's going on in their culture or, you know whatever like they just talk about all kinds of random stuff so uh yeah that's it i've been monologuing like a villain you go john no that wasn't bad that was fine uh no i i this came up and i can't remember why someone mentioned it uh, i mentioned it oh is be- well yeah just now i was listening no i mean like weeks ago i told you this was coming out oh. <laughs> yeah but you know i don't listen or retain most of what you tell me but uh i think it's because i you know like i I talk about what we do on the show uh not in an annoying way but i talk about it uh you know with my coworkers and stuff several of them do listen from time to time uh and i was talking about our our top five showdown of of our our namesakes which i enjoyed quite a bit uh but john favreau i think was pretty high on my list because he's uh he's a fellow john with no h and i i support him uh, obviously a part of the MCU as well so another reason to support him but no I ne- I'd never seen Chef I was aware of it and then yeah I knew this show was a thing that was happening and it just so happened Ryan that the first episode of this of this first debut season uh, featured people from the Marvel Cinematic Universe and uh, oh I think it, like maybe well, hold on was it when uh, Gwyneth Paltrow was on it, right? She's on the first episode, and then Robert Downey Jr., yeah. Tom Holland, and the Russo brothers are on, and Kevin Feige, and I think. Ke- and Kevin Feige, yeah. Yeah, they're on the um, second episode, yeah. I think that's where the first bit of it I saw, because I was like really, like, I don't know, fascinated and probably overjoyed by the uh, the bit with Gwyneth Paltrow, where, like, she wasn't even aware that she was in Spider-Man Homecoming. Like, she knew she filmed that. She thought it was an Infinity War, I guess. You know, they're not really telling her. She just they shows up on set. She does her bit, which is all at the end of Spider-Man Homecoming, and she had no idea well, that she was in Spider-Man, and John Favreau kind of broke the news to her. I don't know so much that it's, they're not telling her what she's doing. It's that it's Gwyneth Paltrow, and she's and a she's little a Looney little Tunes. kooky. Yeah, she is a little Looney Tunes. She's vaginal steamed herself stupid. Maybe. <laughs> I'm just wagering a guess, a really inappropriate offensive guess. Uh, but I thought that was charming, and so I, I did watch the first episode. Uh, that when they're, I don't remember the name of the restaurant. I have not heard you crack your knuckles in a while, but are you doing it right in front of the phone's microphone? Thank you for uh, that. No, I'm doing it. You're just it doubling like, down. 
Now you're doubling down. You're like, okay, I'm yawning. That's getting him uh, uneasy. That's that's scratching a nerve here, grating on a nerve. And now I'm just going to add to that. I'm going to rub salt in that wound, and I'm going to crack my goddamn knuckles. I mean, I've been popping my knuckles all episode. Well, no, this is the first time you did it right by the, the microphone, and I heard every bit of it anyway. Uh, but yeah, they I, they're at some restaurant, and uh, there's definitely seafood involved, and we've had some time where we're in the kitchen, and then there's this meal shared between all those people you mentioned, and that was awesome. I really enjoyed that. Uh, it was super weird. I don't know if you if you thought this too, but like Robert Downey Jr.'s there. I think we skipped over that name a second ago, uh, and he is like, uh, it's weird just to see him sit still and like take everything in, because when is he not the center of attention? But right. there's like multiple points when Roy, the chef, is talking, uh, or Tom Holland's talking, and he's just there. He's just there having a good time, uh, and he's not being his like larger than life self. And it's like, man, this is odd. It's weird to just see them see him sit there and not talk. Yeah, uh, and there's some interesting interactions between him and Tom Holland too, where they're kind of ribbing each other. But it's real, like it's not as as flamboyant as what they do in the movies it's more just it's a little bit more subtle more like dinner table talk stuff and that's kind of fun to see that they have that dynamic like even when they're just like chilling out eating dinner you know yeah yeah um i've only watched two episodes um in fact i I watched episode two like an hour before we started rolling um but yeah i think it's kind of cool it's cool premise it's you know john favreau is basically like a common person who learn some sweet cooking skills and so he's like what we would be well me if i tried harder you know like if i actually made an effort to learn more how to do things properly and quickly and all that stuff you know chefs are incredibly efficient creatures and he's picked up on some of that so it's interesting to watch that kind of that uh, relationship that connection with chef roy guy yeah, yeah, yeah. And they, yeah, I, I like the banter. I like the talking. I like watching them make the food. The The one thing that's a little frustrating to me watching it is that there's no way to access the recipes. And they skip a lot mm. of steps, so you can't really follow yeah. necessarily it either. Yeah, the, the graphic th- that they use to show what goes into it, I don't like that. Yeah, like it's it, a neat, it, it, it's a neat thing, but it's yeah. also not helpful. Like what, what no. happens is there's these little interstitial like um, – like claymation things with the food truck and uh-huh. uh it'll like sort of bounce around or whatever and then when they're going to cook a dish they'll kind of like cut inside the food truck and there'll be like a plate of whatever they're about to make and then it'll kind of like like go into like explode. bullet time for a second and all of the yeah. ingredients will explode out of it and you'll have like labels of all the ingredients they're about to use but it's on the screen for like five like two seconds, seconds. Yeah, it's yeah. really fast. And then there's not, like, these days I'm so used to watching, like, Binging with Babish or Bon Appetit or whatever. And almost every episode of those shows that you watch on YouTube, there's a link to find the recipe online. And you can so you can make it. And I love that interactivity. And that's how most of the stuff that I cook, that's how I end up figuring out how to do it, is I'm using the internet and, like, whatever my main source of watching it is to figure out the method to do it. And so you can't do that with this. But at the same time, like... You know, if you're not in it for that, it's, that's probably not going to be that annoying. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like yeah, uh, if you're just in yeah. it for them to like chat and watch them make good food, then that's just totally satisfying in that regard. And they have some cool people on. Like, there's a whole episode that takes place in uh, Robert Rodriguez's kitchen, or I think it's like half the episode. 
but they're just chilling with Robert Rodriguez down in Austin, and he apparently like he's like you know I don't know how much you know about Robert Rodriguez, but the dude taught himself how to make movies, and he's kind of famous for like he writes, directs, shoots, edits, writes his own scores. He does everything. Um, he rarely works with a very large crew. He likes to do it all himself. Well, that that sense of like ownership and learning and tinkering extends into the kitchen, and dude's got like. Uh, like a wood-fired pizza oven in his kitchen and he's also like taught himself to make chocolate and all kinds of stuff so that's a real fascinating one I always think Robert Rodriguez is kind of like douchey but I thought he was real interesting in this episode so I'm not quite done with it I think I have two episodes left um but uh, I think it's cool it's it's a fun it's a fun little thing yeah no I enjoyed it too and and uh making a special appearance in episode two someone that you've already mentioned that you're also yeah. a big fan of and and that is who uh, andrew ray also known as binging with babish yeah so he is someone you've been talking about for a while i don't mm-hmm. i i mean it, it feels like a very long time and you seemed or seem kind of obsessed with him maybe you really like his channel and some of the stuff he puts out there yeah i think he's 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 a really interesting guy like he had a career as a, like a graphic designer and motion artist and started his YouTube channel binging with Babish as just like a fun side project to like figure out how to make cool dishes from movies and TV shows. And it blew up and he was able to completely quit his other job and focus all this time and energy on this YouTube channel. And like, I've got his cookbook and I watch his videos and he's just become this really cool, like internet personality. And I think, I just think that's really, really interesting. And his videos are entertaining as hell. He's really funny and he's got a really good style for like he's really good at breaking down what he's doing and teaching you, teaching you technique and stuff, which is super helpful for me. Yeah, so he appears in the second episode where they're, uh, they're. I mean, they're making stuff from the movie Chef, and so he's making like a, I forget what that's called, a molten uh, cake kind of thing. Yeah, they make the the chocolate molten cake, and then they also separately, but yeah, they don't do. It's weird. He's Babish has done an episode on pasta aioli, I think is what it's called, and they make that in the show but not when andrew's around but they do make the mm. molten cake with him there yeah yeah and i put a, a note in the run sheet saying that uh, i had a uh, i was going to reveal a, a related surprise but you probably already guessed it and by now you got to be a hundred percent sure uh of something that i knew you like that i have since become hooked on and that is what sounds like you're hooked on binging with babish darn right i am that awesome. is fun to watch yeah that is a good time and i don't like it literally it was a work thing because uh so i you know i keep talking about orientation season but i have to do the same presentation uh every orientation uh and i volunteered to do them for the freshmen just because i i enjoy it i I of course like being the center of attention that comes as no surprise but this year i've tried to shake it up a bit and i kind of redid the the presentation and made it uh an office themed presentation as in the nbc classic comedy the office and so i've got a lot of gifts and memes and sound effects in there and and as i tell the students it's it's to make it's to keep me entertained right if they laugh it's bonus for me um because you know it's it's more just to keep myself engaged and it's it's enjoyable and so at the beginning i always try to take like a a poll to see like who's actually familiar with the office because it occurs to me that show went off the air in what like 2013 when all of them were um like 
13 years old. So Yeah, but I, you know, I heard an interesting thing about that the other day, which is yeah. uh, that uh, apparently the, the younger generation is obsessed with The Office because they've grown up yes, with it on are. Netflix. Right. Yeah, it's it's a show that's been readily available to them uh and yeah, it's interesting to see like young people discovering that show for the first time. Anyway, uh one of the clips that I use when I'm talking about dropping a class and what that means and how it works, I use a gif of Kevin dropping his big pot of chili and then I have the song Drop It Like It's Hot playing over it. And so it makes me laugh in my head every time. But uh, one of the other advisors in my office, uh, we have to send some follow-up emails after orientation, and she had considered including uh, a link to the Binging with Babish episode where he makes Kevin's chili. Yeah. And I was like, interesting. That's, that's a funny little nice personalized touch. Not like these students are going to make this chili, but, uh, you know, I thought that was cool. And so it made me want to watch that episode, and I did. And I was like, hey, I kind of like this. He's a very unassuming guy. He films from, like, the shoulders down, so you don't see his face very often. Uh, and, yes, he is funny, but, he again, very understated jokes, and it's all in, like, the narration that he provides. Right. Uh, and, yes, I mean, the whole, I guess, not his only gimmick, but the main gimmick is that he's making stuff from TV and movies, and I think that's awesome. And so, so far, I've really only watched the ones that are, like, that I like just happen to stumble upon and they're directly related to things that I like. Uh, but yeah, for me, it's not like, Oh, I also want to make this now. It's just like, it is, it's like egregious food porn and it's fun to watch. I'm trying to make these things that are obviously ridiculous, um, that exist only in the world of television and film, but he tries to do them. Well, he tries to do them like true to what they are in the thing that he's, you know, put the the source material, and then he tries to make like a legitimate version sometimes. Right. Uh, but I, yeah, I've enjoyed it. It's a lot of fun. Uh, so I, I can see why you appreciate him so much. I haven't subscribed yet because I don't want him to get cocky. He's got like four four point five million subscribers, and I, I'm just not ready to add to that yet. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he's got uh, two. He's actually has three series now. So binging with Babish is his main thing. Then he has basics with Babish, which is like yeah, I noticed really that. I haven't watched cooking. any of those. It's legit, like cooking, like uh, skills and stuff, which I found very helpful. Um, and then he's got this new one that I haven't even tried yet, but I've heard is pretty good. And I think it's called like Living with Babish or something. And it's like he goes oh, out okay. to people that are like big fans of his show or that he wants to connect with in one way, and they like film an episode doing stuff together. Um, and again, I, I just like I haven't even touched that one yet because I just haven't had the time. Um, but uh, yeah, like I just I'm I'm so glad to see like the success that he's had. You know, like he's a huge John Favreau fan. If you've watched the episode uh, where he cooks the, the the stuff from Chef, like he you can tell he just has like a real appreciation for John Favreau. And so well, I was he has so a Chef inspired tattoo. He does, well. yeah, yeah. And so I was so excited to see him on the Chef show. And it's funny because like I remember when they shot the because um, John Favreau appears on Binging with Babish at one point, and I remembered that he'd mentioned that they were working on something together and I'd sort of forgotten about it. So when he showed up on the chef show, I was like, Oh yeah, that was cool. He also yeah. did a, yeah. uh, uh, Andrew did a crossover with the Bon Appetit test kitchen a while back, uh, which is what got me into watching the Bon Appetit test kitchen videos in the first place. And the, he did a crossover with Brad Leone and they made uh, ricotta cheese together, which is how I learned how to make ricotta cheese. Oh, well there you go. 
Uh, yeah, some of the videos that I've watched, I'm trying to think. I think uh, one of the first that pulled me in was like a, a Ron Swanson-inspired like bacon-wrapped turkey leg, but that was pretty basic. But right. then there's been some stuff on there that I've really appreciated. There's an episode of 30 Rock where they talk about uh, these sandwiches that they that the crew on the show gets from the Teamsters. Uh, and then they, all you hear is just that, like they're the best sandwiches. They won't tell them where they come from. And it comes with this most like amazing dipping sauce. Uh, but he talked about like, what was the inspiration for that sandwich as, as I guess the internet told him, uh, and he made his own version and it was, yeah, I mean, they're super cool. He also had cheesy blasters, which was also from, the, from 30 rock. He just makes some really wheels off stuff. The one that, that I thought was really funny that I watched today was, uh, the like every meat burrito which was from a show i'm not familiar with uh and so he went to like this like specialty delicatessen in in brooklyn or something and like bought all this exotic meat and made like you know a burrito that was just all these different meats and we're talking like you know snake and alligator and a bunch of random stuff uh, and he he spent six hundred dollars on meat and it was terrible uh, which he knew it would be because you have all these meats that require different preparation and he treated them all the same and it was awful and he could not eat it. And then he made like an all pork burrito and that thing was magical to look at. Mm. Have you watched oh, the one man, where he makes the, uh, the Ross's turkey sandwich? Yes, with the moist maker. Yes, that was yes. one of the first ones I watched because I've always been obsessed with that. Like I've always mm-hmm. like, I want someone to make me a moist, like a moist maker sandwich because that sounds amazing. Yeah, I I just loved his dedication on that one in making an entire turkey dinner so that he could make the leftover turkey sandwich. I thought that was brilliant. Yeah, that that's one reason why I will never be inspired to like try to follow his lead and make some of these things myself because he always he seemingly always takes the the long road. Which uh, I mean, I guess not always because in like the cheesy blasters case, like he really did like take a frozen pizza, bake it, and roll some hot dogs in it, but. uh I mean, he yeah, he'll he makes things from scratch and puts a lot of time and labor into stuff and it's like, man, that's a that's a lot of work right there. That's what that is. Yeah. I uh I yeah. long for a day where I have more counter space so I can learn to make pasta. He's made pasta a few times on there and I really really want to try it, but I just don't have the the counter space to really do it. One day, buddy. One day you'll be out of the apartment life and place of your own with giant counters. That's right. That's right. All right. Anyway. Well, I think I think that'll probably do it for this episode of the Damage Control podcast. It's been nice to be back recording again. I've enjoyed enjoyed talking with you today, John. Um, yes, uh, this episode will find its way to the uh, the airwaves probably by like what Wednesday evening. You think? <laughs> <laughs> hopefully, I have Monday, no excuse. Monday morning. I have hopefully. no excuse. You've um, got to send me ideas for for bumper material because I have no idea. Okay. For commercial break material got it um so yeah that'll do it for this episode of the damage control podcast stay tuned for another episode of damage control podcast will it come out next week question mark probably um we'll see uh our opening theme song is kaiju by tribe one you can check him out on twitter at tribe one one that's tribe o-n-e-w-o-n and you can listen to his music at tribe one.bandcamp.com and with some final thoughts here's john uh, I'll just say this because we talked about including this in a previous segment, but I think either we both forgot or whatever. But Ryan and I both have watched Always Be My Maybe, which is a uh, Netflix original movie uh, starring Randall Park and Ali Wong. 
Mm-hmm. And right. it's delightful. We might try to talk about it next episode. But the important takeaway for our purposes right now is that Randall Park's character is in a fictional band called Hello Peril. They are featured in the movie. Uh, and it, I would describe it as like a fun, poppy, hip-hop thing. And it's now my favorite band. And they're not even real. They have three songs that are available to uh, like that are on the soundtrack. That's what we're referencing at the beginning of this episode. And it, it's truly amazing. So I encourage everyone to check it out because it could, in fact, change your life. 100%. Yeah, it's a really fun, cute movie, but the, the music is the real highlight for me. Yeah, that's the winner. For, I, I want to watch the whole thing again just to get to those scenes where he's performing because it's so much fun. For sure. All right. Uh, after the earth-shattering conclusion, once justice is served and at the last possible moment, the world is again saved from the very brink of destruction. We'll be here to pick up the pieces. He's John. I'm Ryan. This has been the Damage Control Podcast. Thanks for listening. Game over, man. It's game over. I don't know about you, man, but I'm about to go eat me some cheese. <laughs> awesome.